Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 28th, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Are you sure, Chris Casenza? You sound like Barry White today. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know if I've told the story on, on the show before. I think I did. Uh, but uh, one morning, uh, my junior year in high school, I overslept. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Whatever you did in high school follows you for the rest of your life now. So. I know. And, Be careful uh, what you say on the story. Go it's ahead. funny because I can vividly remember this day. So if I can remember this day for this moment, which I'm about to tell you, I'm sure other people can remember stuff that's a lot more traumatic. So <laughs> let's just say that... Uh, Although ultimately, I think it became traumatic for me. I don't know, um, but I was I was kind of feeling under the weather, and I had overslept, and uh, I got to class late, but just in time for roll call, and they called my name out, you know, see if I was there, and I'm like, I'm here, and like two guys at my table because I think it was an art class, so we were it was first period of the day, I think it was art or something, and it was like two guys at my table, Jeff, another kid named Chris turned to me and they were like what the and i'm like what they're like, they said your voice it's so deep you sound like a moose and then i thought to myself first who knows what a moose sounds like and then uh for the rest of high school i was known as moose for my junior from i think it was my early my junior year too it wasn't late because it was before baseball season so for the next two seasons every time i got up to the plate they're not booing him. They're saying moose. <laughs> and it's because of this voice that I have. Oh, it's so when I'm... cute that they told you that when <laughs> I they're like, booing you. I know. <laughs> um, but whenever I get up early or if I'm finishing off a cold or whatever, my noise, my voice gets like this. And uh, so, yeah, and then so when I'm sick like this, I get uh, my my sleeping schedule gets thrown off. I woke up. It was like 20 of 10 in the morning. We ta- usually tape like 10 in the morning. I was like, oh, man, i got to get ready for the show. And then all of a sudden, my, my voice was way worse than this. I spent the last 20 minutes doing, like, vocal exercises to try to get my voice to normal. You should have heard me 20 minutes ago. It's brutal. So, anyway, uh, turn the bass down on your stereo if you have that capability. I don't be I don't be responsible for blowing out anybody's headphones or, or speakers in their car today. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to bring the treble today. <laughs> it's all about that bass, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, on my broadcast of Live at the Bike, a player who goes by the name Bitcoin Yoda, awesome name by the way, <laughs> uh, offered to show one of his cards on the river to his lone opponent who was facing a large bet in a 5-5 cash game that plays big because of a Mississippi straddle. His opponent, Eric Hicks, picked a tray, showing that Bitcoin Yoda had at least a wheel, but maybe a six-high straight. Problem was, Hicks had a flush, so his only decision was how to get the most money out of Yoda, which he did by raising 25000 you would have called and lost a $65,000 pot. So, it's tell the lesson and not goofing around at the table. I well, think. Yeah, I mean, first tell the truth Bitcoin Yoda has to be Brett Philbin, right? I mean, that's. <laughs> you're, just, you're just protecting him, right, for the show. But I'm not, I'm not letting it go by that easily. Um, yeah, here's the deal. If you're going to show a card, make sure you know that you can't be beat. <laughs> I mean, how silly is that? You know, and then if somebody raises you, you really got to think about it for a minute. I don't know if the guy didn't realize there's a straight, a flush out there. I mean, that's bizarre. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I have to figure. I mean, you're right. I, I agree with you. If you you feel like you're gonna, you gotta know. It's like the putting the glove on OJ, right? You know, yeah. you don't know what the result's going to be. It could be traumatic for you. So, um, 
So I wouldn't necessarily say that you have to have the best hand to do that because that could prove that you have the best hand and now you're not going to get called, right? Right, but, right. But there has to be enough mystery in whatever card the person check, um, picks that your opponent's going to do what you want him to do, which is either raise you or, in this case, raise because he thinks he has you beat and then you can re-raise, but you, I, you couldn't feel comfortable doing that here because the flush was on the board unless, like you said, he didn't see it, which is possible, happens to all of us, but... But imagine how much, how little money this guy would have lost had he not clowned around the table. And that's yeah. what it is. You know, I know it's live at the bike, so I'm not trying to make those shows boring by telling people to play straight. But as our show, talking to people that don't play it live at the bike, uh, this is why people are like, am I allowed to show? It's heads up now, right? Am I allowed to talk? Yeah, it's heads up now. Yeah, you can do all that stuff. Don't. Because <laughs> most of you don't know what you're doing when you do it. Don't. Just don't. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no. It reminds me of, um, who was who the, Michael uh, Imperioli, right? Uh, Sopranos? Yeah. But he played, uh, what's his name? In, oh, Stu Unger. Stu Unger. Yeah. So it reminds me of um, a scene in that movie, and I think it was the guy that that was uh, his like mentor or whatever, and the, I think the role was supposed to be like Mike Sexton, but I'm not certain. But there was a scene in there where you had like Deuce, Deuce Seven in the hole or something, and they're you could tell they just got some fish on the line, and and he shows he lets the kid pick a card, and the kid outthinks himself when he does it. He pulls he picks a Deuce or something, and he's like, "Oh man, you you got the you know you got the wheel or something. I'm gonna fold," and and the kid folds, and and then the guy who plays I think it's Mike Sexton, but I can't remember for certain, but. He turns over the seven, and the whole place just roars and everything. So there's also that added bonus to it too. That you know you could be giving away your hand, but they could also be reading into, you know, oh, because he knew the way that guy played. That if he saw that card, he'd be able to surmise that you were willing to show that you had the best hand. He would fold. But in this case, I mean, the guy had him beat. It, it, there's just, I mean, the guy had a there's a possible better hand, and uh, and it was just he he could read into this guy's mind. Um, that how he would think when he saw either one of those cards and would think that he was beat and would fold because he could tell that other guy didn't have the nuts. And it's like, it's so hard to get into someone's mind at that level. You know, there's so many levels there that, that you could be going, um, whether it's can he know what I know and what I would do if I had this card. And, and, and in this case, it just it seemed like, okay, this guy bet 25 grand after me showing him that I could have a six-high straight why would he raise me? Is he really he's going to bluff me off this? And then he just called, and it was just like, man, there's a flush out there. Think back. Did that hand possibly get there? You know, well, even if yeah, I mean, even if you, uh, even if you didn't see the flush there, I got to think. I mean, what the guy knows now that you have a wheel, which is a pretty strong hand, right? Yeah. And now he's raising you. I mean, are you really thinking he's he's so? loose and cocky that he thinks he's going to push you off of an obvious wheel that's it doesn't make much sense to me either i mean and for him to quickly call and lose it i i'm sorry i don't like to laugh at other people's uh, misfortunes but when people talk and they give away their strength their hand lose a pot when people show cards and they give away the strength of their hand and lose a pot uh, I'm giggling on the inside. Yeah, you know, and I'm not too worried about this guy. He's clearly going to make that money back in the uh, incredibly stable uh, cryptocurrency <laughs> market. Yes, yeah, exactly. so so I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, don't don't show your especially especially if you're if you're listening to our show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you shouldn't be showing showing any cards. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but uh, oh well, what are you going to do? Well, you even mentioned uh, Bitcoin's uh, Star Wars residual too, so he's set for life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so he must have, when that happened. He said, "Flush, you had." <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Oh my god! All right. Well, hey, it's a great time of year because I'm a big reality show uh, fan, and last night was the finale of Big Brother, and it was for the first time ever three great contestants at the end. So that was exciting. And then, of course, the debut of Survivor, which is uh, one of my all-time favorites. So, uh, very good timing that uh, Poker News contributor and yet the bastard Chad Holloway, who continues to come up with uh, what I call talkable content. It's awesome. Yeah. 
And also, timely as pro Jackie uh, Glazier was voted off of Survivor Australia, uh, Chad looked back at the at five big runs from Poker Pros, four of which we saw here in America. Uh, Tiffany Michelle and Maria Ho's early exit from The Amazing Race, Vanessa Russo's near win on Big Brother, David Williams' final three finish on MasterChef, and, of course, Andy Duke's runner-up run on The Celebrity Apprentice. So I thought it would be fun for us to kind of go back and see whether we even remember these. I mean... I remember uh, three of them. I don't watch uh, cooking shows, so I didn't see the Master Chef. But, but I don't. I, I know you're a Survivor fan. I don't know where else you are on the reality. Uh, well, here first, I'd like to just say that uh, doesn't isn't it just like Survivor just really really grasps such draws for their titles every season now. Like their themes are just getting worse and worse. Like this, oh, this, this year's. I actually was thinking about this last night. I'm not going to go on a long thing because we're already pushing the limits. Yeah, we well, don't have a lot to talk about today, so let's just. Do it. <laughs> but but no, the David versus Goliath, I think, is really really strong. I really like that theme. So, uh, I, but you're right. Some of the other ones uh, have jumping the sh- have jumping jumping jump the shark, right? I mean, <laughs> and even this one. I mean, okay, I get the idea of these people have such huge egos that they think that they're they're these huge goliaths in the in the industries and in the world and all this other crap but when you really think about it i mean the goliath in this fable gets his ass beat so (laughs) and they're all rocking around like we're goliaths we're great but i'm like you realize that you got your ass beat in the story in this fable and it's like hello you know and so, I don't know. But it, it just seemed kind of stretching it. Because it wasn't like they were massive, intimidating people. They just did well in life, for the most part. There's one guy on there. Well, anyway, they, had, they had a good start in life, like I would say you and I have. And other people did not have a good start in life. And then got to the same stage in life. That's why I think it's interesting. So now they're on an even keel presently. Give or take a little bit, right? So it's the difference between whether the people that had a gritted out for their whole life to get there still are gritty, or those that just kind of, I don't want to say coasted, but, you know, had the advantage of not having to be gritty, right? Yeah, now are they going to be able yeah. to be gritty enough to... So that's the real challenge here. I think it's fascinating. But I, guess I we'll just don't understand how that's David versus Goliath, though. I mean, the story of David Goliath... Like, so this is a competition, right? So a competition between this person and this and this person, or this group and this group. If you're comparing it, David versus Goliath, I mean, Goliath was... You know, there, this is this is like... There's no chance in the in the in the fable for David to win. But yet he does cuz he's smart about it with a slingshot and the other guy's this big clunky guy who knows how to fight massively <laughs> fight. This this is not even close to that. It's just silly. It's just a silly title. I can see they're struggling for these ideas though. I mean, 37 seasons in or whatever, they're they're having trouble. So, I don't know. All right, let's not talk about that anymore. I, 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 but I'm going to make it even worse for you because I don't know about any of this stuff. The wow, only, you don't watch any of these? None of it. And the only thing, the only reason why I watch Survivor is because when I get home from bowling on Wednesday nights, the wife has, has recorded and wants to watch it. So, I, you know, I, but I don't even that. Half time, I'm answering emails on my iPad while it's on in the background. I don't watch TV that much except for, like, you know, sitcoms and stuff when I want to just relax and laugh. But, um,. The only thing I know about these shows that you're about to list is what you told me about them <laughs> over the, on the show. The only oh, thing I, I do that. remember was, and I'm sad to see that it was like one of the like honorable mentions, was when John Robert Bolan went pretty deep in Survivor, Survivor yeah. China. And so that was a pretty decent run because then it was like, hey, the poker world's getting some legit time on the show now. And he did fairly well. Emery made one, one mistake that that cost him and then that was it he was off but he was on there for three weeks you know i mean three weeks of time he was on the show for a long time well he was on the jury impressive because every other poker pro and i'm using air quotes even though people can't yeah. see it yet, and on the show he's got like booted off in the first three episodes or something right so yeah. it's been hasn't been good for our game uh for our representatives here all right so what about this for a question then i thought this was interesting so of these five people I just mentioned, Tiffany, Michelle, Maria Ho, Vanessa Russo, David Williams, Annie Duke, the only one still, I think, playing poker or playing or visible in poker is Maria Ho. Is, am I right? No. 
Vanessa Russo kind of sort of retired. She still plays a little bit, but she's not, you know, not the face of poker stars anymore. <coughs> Annie Duke has been excommunicated from the poker community. Um, David I, I, I had to even, I had to look at the story to figure out who Maria Ho's partner was. I'm like, I recognize Tiffany Michelle, but I couldn't remember her name. That's how long ago it's, I've seen her anywhere. And David Williams, where has he been lately? I've, he just won a bracelet a little while ago. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I was asking. See, I just, uh, well, I mean, it's just sort of off the cuff. You sort of just came up with another reason because I sort of tanked your whole idea. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I mean, he literally, he literally, uh, I think he just won a bracelet within the last two years or so. Let me see if I can see his. I'm going to call it up on Hendon Model here. All right, so he just played at the, the Orleans tournament. He's at the World Series. What he had a bunch three? of catches at right, the World there Series. There we go. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying that it's the most recent thing was in August. He played. At the Orleans and a super stack, but and he won it. Um, but he played in the World Series and cashed just in this last World Series one, two, three, uh, one, two times. No, wait a minute. No, he only cashed once. He cashed once, and he, he played in the uh, the uh, chalk toss series too in April. So he's still playing. Um, that's interesting. Now that you said, it, I'm going to keep looking him up. I want to see what Annie Duke's name says <laughs> because the other stuff really just. I'm sorry, it fell flat, buddy. I don't watch those shows at all. <laughs> uh, let's well, see while you're doing. looking it up, I will say Tiffany and Maria were terrible on the Amazing Race. Vanessa Russo was masterful on Big Brother and would have won, but she lost the last comp and then ended up third. Like I said, I don't watch cooking shows because I don't cook. Right. Um, and Andy Duke was really, really good at Celebrity Apprentice. I know people like to hate her now, but she was really good on that. Um, and you still there? Joan Rivers. Oh, sorry. Paul. Lost you for a second there. Um, yeah, you're right. Well, Annie Duke has been off the map for tournament poker. At least she's gone. 2011 was the last thing. Um, Tiffany Michelle cashed in the ladies' event, uh, as you and I like to say, the women's event uh, in June of the World Series. So, um, yep. and she played at uh, LA Poker Classic in January of 2017. So, this doesn't necessarily mean that she's gone because she's actually host. She's like one of the hosts of that Poker Night in America stuff. So she's still around. But she wasn't ever really a great poker player. She just had some really good runs and was like the last woman standing in one tournament. Got her popular. Vanessa Russo, uh, I didn't, I didn't really realize that she didn't. I know she got in a sort of semi-retirement, but I thought she still. Let me see what she says just before we move on. But yeah, I man, I saw she recently played in something that not too long ago. But uh, but oh, okay. she's really not having the active schedule she once had. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the last thing on here was like a. Oh, it was actually, was at the uh, One Eye Jacks uh, in April of 2017. So, oh, yeah. 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 So, you're right. So, they're all kind of pulling back a little bit. Of course, I don't know what they do with cash games. I don't know if they're just showing up for cash games, making some money, and going home, and just they're just tired of the tournament. Well, I'm not grind. necessarily saying they're not playing anymore. I'm just saying they're not as visible. All these people were visible, yeah. Visible beyond just poker, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they were, you know, people were writing about them. They were on other TV. They are doing other things. And then um, around the poker world, and now I just don't see them much. So, well, the, th- the thing about the, I, I think it's intriguing when they put them on these on these shows, though, because it it characterizes them, and as as what kind of you know you see how the mental aspects of how tough they are at the poker table play out on on these shows. Although I don't know about like David Williams's Master Chef, like the stuff where it takes just your mind. Like Big Brother and Celebrity Apprentice, that stuff is very like amazing race. You use your mind, but it's a lot of physicality too. You got to find out how to where this place is and get there and get on a plane, all that crap. That's and like David Williams cooking and stuff. That you know that that doesn't really showcase your poker talents. But the other two and like even Survivor, the mind game stuff. That's that's interesting. Um, But they keep coming up. Like I even last season, I think somebody there was a poker player on Survivor last season or whatever the season before. Recently, because they put their photo in the magazine for something, I don't know, it was like on our, one of our pages. So, I don't know. Yeah. They keep bringing them back, even though the game is essentially, you know, non-existent on TV. It's like on two channels now. But <laughs> that's right. Well, it's funny. Anytime I'm in a poker room, it's all there's always poker on TV. So they have like they have the one channel where poker's always on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how does that happen? How do they do with that? Uh, Annie updates. Join the Annie Up Fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Annie Up Fans. 
uh, and visit that page now to see a post offering a free poker test from Annie PokerCast sponsor Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars. Uh, we love hearing from you, uh, from our fans. So if you have a hand of the week or a listener spotlight or call the floor submission, you email us at podcast at com, or like we said earlier, you could post at the Annie Fans group on Facebook. Scott's real good about pulling stuff off of there and putting it on the show. Uh, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antietmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand the Week, we send them something cool. comes from Adam Borgoyne. He says, I find myself really enjoying No Limit tournaments and have been also playing No Limit cash games. I am curious about playing Limit, though, in an effort to reduce the potentially huge bankroll swings that can come with No Limit cash. At Mohegan, they uh, really only offer 2-4 Limit. And I've heard it's basically bingo. MGM Springfield just opened, and it's considerably closer for me. They offer a limit starting at 3-6, which, while still presumably bingo-ish, I feel like uh, it might be a little less so. What would be your biggest tips for a no-limit player that wants to dip their feet into the limit pool? I'm also curious what you have to say about no-limit players learning stud as MGM is also spreading that quite a bit. Uh, and I do want to know what Adam thinks about if uh, uh, the East Windsor... Uh, I think they're supposed to be opening up a casino in Connecticut in East Windsor eventually to try to cut off the people traveling north to MGM, uh, MGM Springfield. So I wonder what he'll if, he'll... if that's even closer to him, if that opens up, if he'll be going there. Um, but uh, the thing that I learned the most, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off, I don't know if you had something to say right away about because you're a limit player, but uh, I went through this because I was strictly no limit and uh, we had the cash game at Scott's house for the longest time. We played for Skittles. And uh, they always used to want to play like uh, an hour of one game, an hour of another game, an hour of another game, and the last hour was let reserved for Nolan and Holdem. So I had to suffer through these limit games that I didn't really know that well. But I got tired of losing at them, so I learned how to at least become, you know, Soluble is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, anyway, I, I just want it profitable, or at least you know hold my own until I got to the limit, and then I could expose some of the weaknesses of the other players. So, um, but what for, worked for me really was Lee Jones' book. Uh, what was it Low Limit Hold'em, Scott? Yeah, winning, winning Low Limit Hold'em. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't know if it's still in print, or if you can still get it, or maybe you could find it like on a PDF on on the internet somewhere because it might be in the public domain by now. I don't know. I don't know how old that book is, but. That book really did it for me. And I think the, the limit chapters, I think um, if, if you see Jennifer Harmon's limit chapter in a Super System 2, that was a pretty good chapter, too. It really, it, and then when they say the art science thing, or, you know, no limit homes in art, and you know, the science, it's really true because it's mostly just about extracting bets when you know you have the best hand in limit and saving bets and that kind of thing. And, and the stuff like the free card play and the free card play really doesn't work in no limit because they could bet any amount they want you don't really know what the next bet would have been whereas in limit i mean you you know what the next bet is because it's structured betting so you can save a bet or get a free card with that play and and it there's a lot of nuances to that game um but it's also about and and, and the similarity with that and stud is it's also trying to get uh bigger bets out of people by the way you play the hand, it, it's very interesting. It's it's an interesting dynamic um, for me. But as for the tips, I really the tips in it. The tips are to read those chapters. To be honest with you, or read read that book and read that chapter because I, I mean, what what tip do you want me to you know tell you? Oh, okay, well, if you're playing this hand and you got a a draw and you're in position and you really want to get the free card, you raise in the first round of betting. Because then you think they're going to check to you on the next street, and then you get the last street for free. So you've got two streets for the price of the one raise. That's the free card thing. But other than that, I mean, real tips. I mean, just read those chapters. They'll they'll tell you more than we could ever tell you. I think. Yeah, I, um, I, I think the the biggest tip I think is I think this is where a lot of people go off the rails when you're <coughs> switching from a no limit to a limit is understanding the the difference between it. Um, and you're right. Reading books like like Lee Jones' book is a great way of understanding the difference between limit because it seems, sounds like okay, well it's the same thing. It's just I'm it's structured betting, 
but it's not. So what happens with a lot of no limit players is they switch the limit and they find it boring because they're that 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 thrill of shoving people off of hands doesn't exist in limit, right? Right. So you have to think of it as kind of like a bare knuckle bar fight, as I kind of think of limit, where in no limit, I mean, it's kind of like Indiana Jones. You pull the gun out and pop the guy <laughs> with the swords, right? Right. So it's a different kind of weapon that you have to use. So there is a, I find a lot of thrill in limit. I still prefer limit. Um, but you have to understand where that thrill comes from. And if you're playing no limit because you like those big pots and be able to push people off hands, you're going to be miserable in it unless you actually learn what you're trying to do. Now, but more to his point, though, he talked about 2-4 and 3-6. Um, yeah, those games are just really unbeatable. Uh, even 4-8 is very tough um, unless there's a kill on it. So I'd be looking for something, you know, depending on what your bankroll is. I mean, 4-8 is a good Four is where I'd probably start on the switching just to see how much you like it. I wouldn't jump into a six twelve or ten twenty or anything like that until you feel comfortable with it. But but even four eight's kinda of borderline on um whether you can cash regularly in it in a rake game. So Yeah, because the rake game the rake and then on top of it you know when you when you're first learning how to play poker as as a kid or even as even as an adult if you don't understand the game at all and you just you're just showing up to play cards because you want to hang out with your buddies and they're all the same level playing field they're all new at the game or whatever and they all want to see every hand to the end because they all envision the possibilities and every night is a different winner because you don't know because there's no skill in that yet they're not really learning the game this kind of becomes that because. It's only one more bet, and it's only three six, and it's only two four, and people who have plenty of money love to play those games, and they show up and they'll take their security check or whatever, and and call you down to the end, and so everyone's doing that. So there's never ever the consistent winner in those games. You know, if they all took it seriously, like our home game, if you came and played our home game, we play it two four. You know, there are players in our game that consistently will beat the limit portion of the of the day. Because they know how to play the game, and we all take it seriously. We don't just say, "Oh, we're all just all calling to the end," and then, yeah, the winning hand got folded two streets ago uh, in a regular game because they didn't know it was going to go runner runner. But in these games in the casino, these guys don't care. They call hoping to go runner runner, so they're hard to beat at two, four, and three, six until you get to like five, ten. People aren't really giving it much thought, or don't even have the thought in their heads. They just want to play it to the end. So it's tough to beat those games. You can you can play them to get a feel for it, um, and the other thing too is I don't want to forget about talking about stud with them either. I know we're we're going long here, but uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to go to stud here a minute. Let me finish up a little bit real quick. Okay. So I mean, I think you made a good point there too. We talked about the different limits. I mean, you have two, four, three, six is hard to beat with the rig, but if you're in a room that has two different limits, like say a two, four, and a four, eight, yeah, the four, eight still might be hard to beat with the rig. But you're right, you get. You get a different player there. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal, two four four eight. <clears throat> but those people that are just there for entertainment and call down everything and turn the hands over and and turn the game into a slot machine, right? Uh, they're playing at the lowest limits. They're not playing at that four eight generally. So, so if you have a choice, you know, pick pick the highest of the two. Yeah, absolutely. And what uh, I'll say about Sud, I know you have a lot more, but I, I I like the fact that he brought that up in this conversation because. This is a great way of doing it. So if you if you started out as a no limit player and now you want to try something else, I actually would suggest learning stud before I would go to limit. Because if you go to stud, it's a completely different game, right? Right. And so it's going to keep your interest even though you can't do the nuclear bomb bet on the river, right? Um, and so while you're doing that, now you're learning how to bet in a limit game, right? So once you get into stud and you either decide you enjoy it or not, at least that's is a softer landing into the limitations of limit, um, and then then maybe you can try a limit hold them after that. If stud's not your thing, and you'll probably have a better chance of sticking with it than if you just went the other route. So that's what I'll say. I'll yeah, just- and and here's the deal too. Stud really is a type of hold'em game. It's just not a flop game. If you think about it, you have two down guards and one exposed, but. You know, Hold'em was invented so that they could have like 20 guys playing one game at once because they only had one deck and they all wanted to play. So they basically just took Stud and converted it to Hold'em so that they could all play and they put more cards out there to keep them in the game longer. 
you know, that's why they did a flop of three instead of a flop of one. People would probably fold if they had crap. But so th- this game still has the hold'em sort of uh, mindset. It's just that you have your own hold'em, and they everybody knows what you can see, what you have for four cards, for four streets. It, it makes you a better. I think stud is the best poker game there is. Um, it makes you way better at poker. If you're good at stud, you're going to be good at most games because <clears throat> it forces you to keep track of everyone's cards and, and analyze every single player what they could possibly have for their own individual boards. Whereas in Hold'em, there's only so many cards they could have that could beat you or or whatever because we're all playing the same five in the middle. So it's it's a it's a much easier game to play. It's just hard to master. Uh, but stud stud makes you pay attention. You'll get more out of stud too, and there's an extra street too, right? There's an extra street of betting. So I I I as far as tips and stuff, I mean I don't I'm not gonna give you tips on how to play stud. There's a whole you know, there rivers of ink have been spilled on how to play stud and there's a lot more better uh people out there than me to, to teach you how to play it. But uh stud eight's my game anyway. If they're spreading stud eight I would probably move back to Connecticut to go play it. But uh um, no, but yeah, I, his overall point was on uh, swings, and th- that's definitely even if you go play two four limit or three six limit, your swings are going to be way different, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you've got two hundred dollars, unless you actually literally call every street or just get the worst luck, you could play easily four hours of three six limit on two hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Whereas in no limit, you know that could be gone in a minute. Really yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah. There's there's zero chance of you going home in the first half hour of a two four three six game with a couple hundred bucks. Right. But you can literally go home in the first thirty seconds. You know what I mean in a no limit game. So if if that's what you're looking for is a full night out and getting to play cards all night long and maybe getting a little frustrated while you're doing it, go play two four three six. <laughs> all right, we got to move on. Call the floor. Uh, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been, email us at podcast.nettyupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a set of a J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. You think guys and, 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 and women sit around, listen to our show, know they submitted something, and then hear the intro, and if they like that little giveaway, they're like, please, please be me, please be me, please be me. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. I think all around the entire world, people are sitting around saying, please be me, please be me. Uh, this comes from Mike in San Diego. He says, I was in a low buy-in casino tournament uh, when an early position player in seat one shoved for about twelve grand. Two players fold to me, and I have king-queen offsuit. I figure the blinds will fold if I go all in, so at most only 12,000 of my chips are in play in case I lost a hand. I go all in. Small blind folds. At this point, seat one realizes he doesn't have any cards in front of him. The dealer scooped them up because they were apparently not protected and out away from the rail far enough for the dealer to think he, they were mucked. The dealer happened to have two cards under his left hand, so he slid those to the player. I was about to question this move when the player says those weren't his cards. Allegedly, one was and one wasn't, as he claimed he had ace tray, and he was given a tray, but not an ace. Before the big blind can act, the floor is called. There are roughly 12 to 14 cards in the muck from players who have folded at this point. The player tells the floor that he knows what cards he had, so he should be able to get them back since he didn't fold, and the dealer took his cards. The floor correctly tells the player that there are too many cards in the muck to just pull out the two he claims were his. At this point, the floor pushes the player's chips back to him. He then pushes mine back to me, but pulls out a min-raise. He claims that the first player's hand is dead, but because I went all in, I was at least forced at this point to make a min-raise, but I could bet more. As he was trying to explain to me why the first player's chips were returned and why I was forced to make a min-raise when there was effectively no action in front of me, the big blind folded, so I won the 6,000 in blinds. I never really got a good explanation why either of these actions happened. It is my understanding that once a player's cards go into the muck, and if they are no longer easily retrievable, their hand is dead. I understand that the first rule is to do what is fair and what is right, but in this case, the player clearly didn't protect his hand, so shouldn't his chips be forfeited? Yes, it sucks, and yes, it is a bad way to go out of a tournament, but it basically be given a second chance with no negative consequence doesn't seem right. 
Also, why was I forced to make a min-raise at this point? If his hand is dead, it's as if he folded. Yes, the small blind folded based on his or her his and or my action, but if the first player gets a do-over, shouldn't I as well? All right, well, I love Elliot for a couple of reasons. One, I like how he writes the answers, and two, um, I, I, I got half of this wrong, because I always like to try to respond and, and guess, but I always say, hey, we're going to pass on to Elliot. Yeah. Um, so well, at least I got half of this wrong according to Elliot, but we'll talk about that in a minute, because I, I think this is an interesting one. Okay. All right. Kelly says, this was a tale of two situations with all due credit due credit to Charles Dickens. Actually, it was a decision in two parts. The first correct and the second not so much. When it was determined the player one's hand was neither identifiable or retrievable, they were left without a hand. This was good, and then it seriously went off the rails. TDA Rule 65, accidentally killed, fouled, exposed hands, states that, quote, players must protect their hands at all times, including at showdown while waiting for hands to be read. The dealer kills a hand by mistake, or if in the TD's judgment a hand is fouled and cannot be identified to 100% certainty, the player has no redress and is not entitled to a refund of called bets. The player initiated a bet or raise and hasn't been called, the uncalled amount will be returned. Since player one bet and got called, their action is accepted. Anyone making a play at the pot without a valid hand is still betting chips that other players can win. If there's no consequence for betting with no hand, what's to stop any prospective player from taking a stab at the pot? If the ruling is always as what happened to you, they have a chance of winning the pot if everyone folds, but never have a chance of losing a chip. They merely claim the dealer inadvertently swiped their hand and get their bet refunded. Player one's bet caused you to act in turn. This bet has to stay in the pot. I am loath to decision someone out of a tournament, but Rule 65 clearly states uncalled emphasis mine um, amount will be returned. The uncalled amount was zero, and 100% of that amount was returned to the player uh, that bet without a hand. The entire bet should never have been returned, and you should not have been left in a spot where you must bet or raise when the action has clearly changed to your action in turn. Uh, Okay. All right, well, wasn't this a big deal? Refresh my memory on the the World Series a couple years ago, right? And it went all the way up to Jack Apple. They went to multiple floors and called Jack Apple at home. Because there was a player whose cards got scooped up when she was all in, right? Yeah, and she had aces, too, I think it was. Right, yeah. but she stayed in the tournament somehow, right? Yeah. And I don't remember what exactly the ruling, but obviously it was a very difficult ruling because it went through all the way to the top with multiple floors. And um, I guess that's where I'm top. And, and I, Elliot agrees, too. It's like he's low to you know, decision a player out of a tournament. Um, so I don't know what's right here. I mean, obviously... Uh, the player here is claiming the dealer mucked his hand, but it, clearly it sounded like he didn't protect it. And when you were in C1 and C10 or C9, whatever it is in your uh, particular environment, um, you have to be extra careful with your hands because it's just so easy for the dealer to sweep it up, right? So that's why you got to cap it, keep it closed. I am always hyper-sensitive to that when I'm in those those seats. I'm a little less than the other ones because it's less likely to happen, right? Yeah, so, do, do we blame the dealer in this spot at all when he knows the person's all in? Just curious. Well, yeah. yeah, and I guess that's part of it here is that, you know, I, I feel the player was reckless in not protecting his hand, but there isn't a reasonable assumption at this point that he bet all in, the dealer knew he was all in, and then, whether muscle memory or whatever, swiped the cards. Um, now, you know, a dealer mistake almost never is good in a player's favor in a ruling, right? Right. But uh, it's tough to for me to, to accept uh, this player being um, eliminated from the tournament without cards. Now, I don't know what a better solution is. I don't know if that means that they have to, you know, put at least a raise in and they get the rest back. So, you know, kind of what they forced Michael to do here, but for that person instead... And then everybody else can do what they want at that point. I don't know if you allow them to play the board, maybe have a chance to stay in without two cards. You know, I don't know if you can do that because I don't think the rules allow you to not have a hand, right? So, right. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is one of those those rule number one things here where it, it happens so rarely that I wouldn't really oppose a TD doing something to keep you in the tournament. Yeah. I, I, it's such a 
bizarre thing to be all in and then have your cards taken from you. Um, and it's not an angle shot, obviously. This, you know, the person's all in and he was ahead of the king-queen. You know what I mean? So he would want to play this hand out, I think, and try to double up and stay alive in a tournament with, an, you know, with a lead on someone. Um, but I... It, it, yeah, in his case, I think that the house should keep the person in the tournament. Um, because you can't have somebody going out without cards. It's the tournament rule. And if you can't find his cards, you know, I mean, he didn't protect his cards, which is a mistake. But like you said, there's some sort of, hey, I'm all in, and my chips are in front of my cards. My cards can't be in front of the chips. So that's the worst part about sitting in seat one and seat ten. You know what I mean? They could just they can but grab again, your cards so easily. Yeah, right? You know yeah. that unfortunately two players at the table are at a disadvantage all the time because of where they randomly were placed, right? Right. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean you can't build a poker table now where those two seats are empty all the time, so it's less likely, right? So right, it's just out. Right. I mean but you have to be aware as a poker player of things that aren't necessarily fair and be prepared to respond to him. So, you know, I, I, I guess I could argue this either way. The guy didn't protect his hands when he absolutely knows he should have. Therefore, too bad, so sad, go home. You know, I, maybe you take all his chips except for one bet. That way he's not eliminated from the tournament, so he's still got a chance, right? right. It's almost eliminating. <clears throat> but, but then the other argument is, I mean, what if you're somebody not in this hand at all, and, hey, that guy didn't protect his hands. Every time I'm in C1, I'm protecting my hands. Uh, and now you're going to allow him to stay in the tournament because he made a mistake. So I don't know. It's this is not an easy decision. I don't think. No, that's it's tough. It's brutal. But I definitely agree that there's no way that uh, Michael should have been forced to to raise in the situation. I mean, he should have given all of his options back at this point and done whatever he wanted to because he's essentially getting punished because of a mistake of another player. I mean, he didn't. He made that move because of what the initial action was right he would not have made that move if the initial action would have been different um and now that it is different he should have all the options back to him now i don't know what you do at that point i mean maybe at that point you decide to fold because you know the the jig is up a little bit i don't know but um you know i when i initially read it i thought they were forcing him to mid-raise um which didn't make sense to me at all but you know now that we read it here that he had at least min race, but he could have continued his all in if he wanted to. That's a little bit more fair, but that's tough. Yeah, tough situation. Uh, that's why we have rules. <laughs> now we have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. It's a new day at Harvey's Poker Room in Lake Tahoe. We played about an eight-hour session yesterday, but are planning a considerably shorter four-hour session today. We bought in for $300 and are right around our starting stack. It's early in the night. The -the under-the-gun limps. It's folded around to the cutoff, who also limps. And we are on the button with the king of spades, king of clubs. All right, let's get this party started. With two limpers, we make it $25 to go. It's folded to the end of the gun. Who calls? This player is weak and loose. He can sometimes be passive and sometimes aggressive, but for the most part, he makes bad poker decisions. The cutoff also calls. There's around $75 in the pot, and the flop is the ace of hearts, nine of clubs, six of hearts. I'm not crazy about the ace, but after it gets checked to us, we're going to make a value bet. We make it $50 to go. The under the gun looks at his stack, counts it out, only 97 total, shrugs and shoves. The cutoff folds. So, we may have lost track of the under the gun stack here. It's only 47 more. Is this a snap call, or are we trying to save money here? What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Our good cruise buddy uh, Honda is back, Chris. All right. And uh, interesting that we are talking about talking to Adam about limit because this is a two-two game at best bet. Actually, that's not limit. I was thinking it was limit, but it's two-two instead of one-two. So I'm sorry. 
I was going back to the old Florida because I was talking to people about the old Florida when I, I know what it was. I was in Texas and I was telling them about how how crazy Florida poker has been. You remember back the quarter fifty cent? Yeah. And then with a ten dollar pot, and it became two dollars straight, and people thought that was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um, so I, that's where I got confused. Actually, I've never seen a two two game. Have you? Uh, no, I've seen one one. Yeah, never two two. Hmm, interesting. Um, all right, so here we go. He's in a 2-2 game um, at Best Bet up in Jacksonville. He said the uh, villain and his friend arrived at the table about an hour ago. They are about 25 to 30 years old and have an Eastern European accent. I can't do one of those. Can you? No. It's like a Teddy KG kind of... Mm-hmm. Man, his money... No, no yeah. don't even... Don't even... Yeah. Don't even. All right, I was just trying. You no, know. stop. No harm. <laughs> uh, they don't seem to be first-time players, but definitely don't seem real experienced either. They've been cautioned to speak English only and have been uh, reminded several times uh, to post their blinds. Uh, the villain has a stack of $260, and I have him covered with 310 A middle position player has 240 um, I'm in the small blind. The villain's friend is in the big blind, and the villain is under the gun and raises to $6. Middle position player calls, and now it's on us in the small blind with pocket sevens. Um, I don't, I don't think I'm going to raise. I think I'm just going to try to flop a set, set mine in with it. So I just call. Yep, seems pretty easy to me. That's what I'll do, and that's what our hero does. Big blind calls too. So four of us going to the flop with twenty four dollars in the pot. Flop is seven, eight, nine, rainbow, and we are first act. Oh, isn't that terrific? <laughs> Bottom set on the wettest board on the planet, probably. Oh, uh, uh, I'm still gonna. Could have a flush draw. Yeah, I guess it could be flush draw too. I, I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Well, I don't know. We have how many people in this hand? What? Four. Four. Yeah, maybe I check and see if somebody bets, and then really try to check raise to an amount that you know really make us heads up or even take it down now. I don't know. I mean, you want to get your value for your sets, obviously, but in this case, it's so wet. You know, I, I don't know. I think I want to just see what's going on now. Maybe I do want to bet out. Well, this is this is this is perplexing. I don't know what to do. Yeah, this is a tough spot. Here, yeah. So here's what I'll say: if you're going to check, which I'm not necessarily opposed to, you have to be prepared to lay this down on the turn, right? Right. Because if it checks around, which is a possibility when you check, you can never count on that check raise, right? Right. And then a 10 comes or a 6 comes, um, I, I think you just have to pretend that you never flopped that set. <laughs> $6, you were set mining, that 7 didn't show up, ace, king, queen came in the flop, you're out of it, right? Um, the problem, I think, is players can't do that. So they're going to still fight this hand when one of those danger cards comes. So if you're going to check, I think you have to already in your mind say, if this board gets even wetter, I'm done. Yeah. If you can't do that, then I think you absolutely have to bet here and try to win it right now or get you heads up or thin the field or whatever you can do. Um, so at least no one's getting a free card to make this even worse. Now, you could be already be behind. I mean, 10 jack, people play 10 <coughs> jack at the time, like me. <laughs> um, and now you're going to have to boat up to get there. But uh, well, I, I, yeah. I would rather like, bet here and just find out. Just get an idea of where I'm at. If I yeah. bet you know, 15 bucks here and three callers or one caller or a raise. I don't really know what that's going to mean, but at least it's more information for me to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm not absolutely done with the hand. I mean, if I bet and get called a raise and it's a reasonable raise at this point, I'm not thinking they have a straight already. At this point, if they do have a straight already, I have 10 outs twice. So I'm, I don't think I'm going anywhere for a reasonable raise or a reasonable bet if I check. So and then even then on the turn, if it's a reasonable amount, you know, people get blinded when they see that straight right away. They don't even realize the board paired. So your boat, I think, would be disguised with pocket sevens. I, I think that I, I wouldn't oh, be yeah, completely absolutely. done with the hand. I just, I think that it would depend on the bet on the turn on whether or not I'm done with the hand or not. If the bet was just outrageous and then it's like just basically bingo and you're just hoping to hit your, your scratch off then forget it. But if, if this is something like, hey, it's a reasonable bet, and if I hit my hand, my seven still might even be good. I don't even know. My set might even be good still. So uh, I'm not completely done with the hand if I'm facing some sort of uh, resistance, but uh, it's going to have to be pretty 
pretty good situation for me to stick around if if uh, if it gets even more wet, like you said. Right. Just have to be very careful. I yeah, careful. Yeah, careful. But I was probably trying to overstate it so people <laughs> trying to scare you straight a little bit. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's lots of things that could happen here. But but I mean, I I guess the reason I brought that up is because right now we're trying to decide what we're going to do now, right? Yeah. And so a check is not a problem, but in your you gotta get yourself in the mindset, I guess is what I was gonna say, of what the danger of checking is. Um, not that it's not dangerous to bet here either, but it's just a different story. So All right, All right, I'm so, gonna bet fifteen here, maybe. Yeah, 15. I think I would I would bet a little bit. At least something to get some money in the pot so when you do if you do win or you do hit your your quads or, or full house, then you know, you're gonna make some money too. If you keep check check all the way down and then you win the minimum with a very good or point. full house. Yeah. Yeah, yep. you're going to be like, what the hell did I play this hand for then? Yeah. Get your value while you can. All right, our hero says, I flop a set, but it's never easy. I'm in the game for 400 and don't want to get too aggressive, so I decide to check. Uh, the big blind checks, and the villain bets 20 bucks. The middle position player calls. Uh, and I guess it's back to us. Yeah, I think uh, I think a call is in, in order. I mean... Uh, we were going to bet 15 and we already checked so there's no reason to not call and hope an 8 and 9 or a 7 comes on a turn and if not hope it's a deuce or an ace you know at least that way you're you know they they would have had to have flopped the straight to really be ahead here and you know unless they have a set bigger set but never worry about that right now so yeah i think i'd call 20 bucks i don't think i'm going to raise here i i mean, i talked earlier about check raising um but it just seems like he's a little concerned with how much money he's into the game already for. And if he check raises and then somebody shoves on him, now he's got a real decision to make. Yeah. Uh, whereas for 20 bucks, he can get to the next street. I don't think he really... that The field's fairly thin now, I think, anyway. I think what, it was one other player. So it's only three-handed, I guess. Oh, well, there's another. There's a big blind in there, too. Big blind for us, yeah. So. Yeah, so I think... Uh, I think a call's all right. I don't really care. I don't care if people are hitting their hands. It's whether or not because I don't know if my set's going to be good at the end. So I'm hoping to hit the boat. So for twenty bucks, I'll call. Well, the other interesting thing about us checking and now there being a bet, and again, the reason I was concerned about checking was getting it checked around and giving a free card, right? So we checked, we got a bet. So that's interesting. Um, now that that player took the lead here, right? So. Um, Unlikely that he's doing that with the made straight because it's a rainbow board, right? Um, right. But could be. Um, so the interesting thing though, is, is we were worried about the six or the ten coming. Now this player has to be worried by that, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, we got some more options to represent here, depending on what we what we do. And I don't think we could do that by raising here. I think that we can only retain those options by calling. So. I think I'm going to call here, and this hand's going to get really interesting with two more streets, I think. But I think this is a call situation. I agree. Uh, all right. Well, Hero doesn't really say what he does, but he says the big blind folds and $84 in the pod and goes on to the turns. So I'm going to assume we call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. The uh, turn is the tray of clubs. So there's two clubs on board now, and the board is 7, 8, 9, tray. And, of course, we're the small blind, so we are first to act now. Uh, I think we have to check again and hope they just make some sort of reasonable bet again. Yeah, again, I think the whole dynamic changed when we checked and there was a bet. So right. now it's on the villain here. Now, I mean, I know you were talking earlier in the show about uh, the free card doesn't really work in No Limit, but, I mean, maybe it's a possibility here where the villain checks behind. On, he's on a draw of some sort. So that's a danger. But I think just the way we're in this hand right now, I think we got to let him bet again and... You know, either the board pairs or maybe we're still good. Maybe everybody's drawing. Who knows at this point? Um, and then we can just figure out what happens on the river. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Our hero says, the, uh, I think this is a good card for me. I think the villain has an overpair or an ace-king type hand. And middle position has something like a 10 or a jack or maybe 8x. I think the villain will continue betting, so I decide to check raise. All right. That's a little different than checking, but... Um, I mean, I guess at some point you got to figure out where you are, right? No, so. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think at some point you need to figure out where you are. I think you you need to just you know call along and then on the river if you don't boat up. 
uh, then analyze where you are. But I don't know if you could find out where you are. I think at this point, you could just happy to just call until you make a hand until you don't, and then make a decision. I, I don't want to put more chips at risk on a wet board like this. Now you got clubs, so more people are going to come along, I think, if they have backed in the club somehow. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to raise. All right. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I want to raise either, but I guess we'll see what happens here. Uh, we check. Uh, the villain bets $20 uh, into the $84 pot. Middle position player calls, and it's back to us now. Anything change your mind? No, I don't think so. You? I think we're kind of building a pot here. I mean, it almost seems like at least one player is drawing, right? This um, middle position player must be drawing, right? Right. Um... And the villain, I, you know, again, now 20 and then 84. I mean, maybe that is Jack 10 now just trying to get value, but I'm going to be worried about his hand a little bit. I don't know. I mean, initially thought it was, it was a single pair, kind of like an ace nine or something like that, but I don't know now. Yeah, I don't know now either. I, I still, I still don't. You know, somebody, some, you don't know how school play, so if they flop the straight, they could just be betting to keep you in to get as much money as you want i mean you know it's 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 not just what you have it's what what they have what they think they have and how they play so if the guy had a straight and he's just milking you along hoping to get keep as many people as possible you know this is not the time to check raise so we got to make sure we have our boat before we do anything crazy but if you're reading them properly and you you have your right read then maybe you think about raising because a four card straight could get there so it just depends on what you're thinking, what these people are, are holding when you're playing and, and how they play. You can't just do black and white here, ABC poker, because you don't, you, you just don't know. This guy could be one of those old-type players that really like to just get as much money as they can into the pot um, and give you the opportunity to, to suck out on them. Um, or they could be the type of player that just thinks his nine is good. You know, he's got two nines, and he thinks he's still good because he's still got top pair, and he's just betting the minimum amount, hoping somebody will raise him to prove he's wrong. And when you're not doing that, your, your set of sevens might still be good. It's tough. It's a tough situation because it's such a wet board. And it got only wetter with that three, the three clubs. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of being um, uh, passive, but I really think that's kind of the way to go here. Uh, <coughs> and you know, Our hand still has possibilities of improving. Our hand still could be good. Um, you know, if another club comes on the river, that changes things. You know, if that six or ten comes, that changes things. But otherwise, I, I kind of want to get the show down here, so I don't know if I want to poke the bear right now. Yeah. Um. All right. So we uh, let's see, we raised the sixty-five. Hmm. And he says probably too small, uh, but it didn't matter because the villain goes all in for two fourteen. Oh, that'll wake you up in the morning. Oh man! Middle position quickly folds, and now it's back to us. Well, it gets back to reeds. I mean, it just—it doesn't—it it really doesn't matter what you have now. I mean, what matters is whether or not you can beat this person. You have the backup of of quads and a boat on the end. Um, so it gets back to reeds. Then it's whether or not you believe the story this person is telling you, and whether or not. You know, you think he has a straight or not, or a bigger set than you actually could eight eight or nine nine. Three hands have a beat here, right? Yeah, well, well four. Yeah, I mean eight eight nine nine, and then two straights. So, yeah. um, I guess three. There's three straights, but um, so you know, you got five hands that beat you, and they would have had to have beaten you on the flop because the turn didn't help them. Um, it could be one of those hands where they have jack ten of clubs, and now you're really screwed. Um. Well, I guess it really doesn't. Well, at that point, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. So I guess yeah. that's what I was looking at is that if he has eight, eight, nine, nine, or jack ten, your your outs are still the same. Well, actually, no, 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 no. You you have to hit one out if you have eight, eight, or nine, yeah. nine. If he has um, if they have straights or flushes draws, and then you, you still have to hit yeah. your boat. If they have a bigger set than you, you have to hit your quads. That's one out. So right. it's hard to imagine that they have a set over set. That happens, and it happens in games all the time. But it's just. It's a rarity, so um, you just got to put yourself on your read, you know, and and hope that the the person just is overplaying his hand. But if they shove, it seems likely that they have a straight, and they're hoping you have a straight too. 
you know, at a lower end or something, or that you have two pair or something or whatever. But to go all in and not have seven 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 beat, it's 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 not easy, especially a two two game. Very rarely do you find somebody risking their entire stack like that on a bluff. Um, but if your read is right and you got a street left, you still could boat up or quad up. So if your read is right, I would make a call. If 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 I'm not really confident in what I think this person has, I probably lay it down. Just seemed like this guy's been confident the whole way. Finally got what he wanted. He wanted somebody to poke back at him, and then that's why he went all in here. I think. Um, yeah, I hate to put somebody on a hard hand, but this really seems like Jack 10 to me. Um, he got what he wanted. In that case, then, as we discussed, we have more outs than if it's 8-8 or 9-9. Um, but those could be, those are real strong possibilities, too. And you're right, that, that we're down to one out on that one. Uh, I don't know. Well, this is the whole reason probably I wouldn't check raise there. I, I would have just played this pass. Like, now, it probably doesn't change <laughs> the hand any because... You know, if he's got one of those made hands, he's going to make his bet on the river pretty big at that point to try to get paid off, I think. But The other thing I'll throw out there is that he did raise preflop, so he could have an overpair. And he could just think his overpair is good. Could have tens, you know. Cool. Yeah, well, that's an aggressive bet with an overpair. I mean, you're right, it could be. But I'm, like, I'm just uh, saying, it could be that too. I, so there are hands that... Well, yeah, a pair of tens we would probably play it this way. I don't know about... Maybe jacks because jacks could have that straight back to ten at the end. Yeah, so I mean, an overpair could be there and you're beating that. It could be top two when you're beating that. It could be um, uh, there's very few hands that you're beating that would play it this way, um, but there are a few. So yeah. if you can put that into your read and your set is golden, then if it's an overpair, so um, just I would make the read. I, strictly numbers, I'd probably fold. Uh, but on a read, and I believe this person has like an overpair or just is overvaluing his hand, then I make the call and I've got outs on the end, hopefully. So well, that's the best part. If it's on the river, then I'm folding, obviously, because I, I don't think I can win with just a set here. But if it's if it's the turn and I got outs, I might make this call. And then uh, the other thing, too, is, you know, I know players don't like when I bring up psychology, but Honda brought it up himself, right? He said, I'm in the game for 400 earlier and don't want to get too aggressive. Yeah. I mean, if that's the way you're feeling right now, I don't know how you make this all-in bet now. I, I don't. Um, and I also don't know how you make that $65 raise, too, or a raise of 65 So, I mean, th- th- this is going to be, again, you talk about in the moment versus how it's going to affect your game going forward. If he makes his call and loses his hand, um, and loses because he's already behind, even that makes it even worse, right? Yeah, that's going to be—he's going to be, be gun shy for weeks after this, I would think, right? Right. So, and so that's not a good thing. So, I—I I think I got a fold here. I do. Um, yeah. For those, I mean, you know, I know some players can divorce their psychology from it. I'm not one of those. So, and I, it doesn't sound like Honda is either. So. Yeah, I think our raise now is what's making me want to call. I, I just think that we have so much money out there now that it's it's like, you know what, For I need to make this read and feel good about my game or reassess my game after this. Like, if I if well, I true. read I mean, this guy and I'm wrong, yeah. you know what I mean, then it's like, okay, I need to go home and take a break from poker for a while because I'm clearly not doing this right. But if I make the right read, then it's like, okay, that money I'm into this game before was just a little hiccup. But I'm clearly on my game right now, and I'm reading these players right, and now I can continue to feel confident at the table and play. So it's it's like a a big moment here. I think it's it could be at least. So we'll see. All right. Either gonna be a hero or a zero. Hero or zero. <laughs> Uh, uh, all right, so uh, here it says middle position quickly folds. I'm wondering if my read was correct or not. Could he have 10 jack or pocket eights or nines? Monster under the bed. I have to call 149 to win 552, so I call. I'm thinking that I might be, hot, be, might be behind, so I'm hoping for the board to pair. I was staring at the back of my cards, and then when I looked up, the dealer had turned over the seven of spades. Nice. Wow. Quickly table my hand, and the villain turns over pocket queen. Oh, there you go. I didn't need the 4-7 since it was after midnight. I didn't qualify for the high-hand bonus either. Wow, okay, so so much here. Well, one, that miracle seven. So he's now he's got the confidence, as we talked about. He's going to be a hero, right? 
Mm-hmm. One big pod got unstuck. That's great. Um, and it's interesting. I was like, you know, the only overpair I could see this guy doing this with were tens or jacks. We had that backup of the street as an insurance policy. The Queens, wow. Yeah, see, this person really thought his overpair was good and wasn't even worried about straight. That that's that's bold. That's bold. And he would have got me to bold, so maybe that's good. But yeah. that's only because of what I had, um, or what he had. You know, that's why he, he called. Yeah, couldn't uh, really put us on that necessarily. He had to had to have the have us have uh, ten jack in our range too, right? So if that's the case, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> See, that's the thing. That That's what I'm talking about when you got to know these players because this guy just thought, I'm going to bet a little bit, I'm going to bet a little bit, not even really paying attention to that board or what's going on with the calls and stuff. And then if somebody raises you, you got to think, oh, man, maybe my queens aren't good. Let me look at this board again. Hmm. There's three to a straight there. Hmm. Yeah, think how wild this is, right? How tentative and cautious we were with the flop set on this board. And here's a guy with, like, an overpair. I know. You know, quads already. That's, wow. Very interesting. That's what makes this game both awesome and horrid. Terribly frustrating at times. It's a brutal game. It really is. But uh, I'm glad you won, Honda. That's the way to go. Hey, I'm I'm Chris Casenza. I'm Scott Long. And we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.